The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. And welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a lovable guy who I can assure you is not a Dalek. I'm positive about that. My co-host. Hey, everybody. It's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. This week, we've got a big episode of ATA as we cover the first new episodes of the fall 2012 TV season, the Doctor Who Series 7 premiere entitled Asylum of the Daleks, written by one of our favorite TV writers ever, the great Stephen Moffat. Yes. But that's not it. We will also, in this episode, talk about the continuation of our reviews of the new seasons of Warehouse 13 and Alphas. So keep an eye out for those as well. Yes, it's great stuff. It's exciting. We are pumped up about about this episode because Doctor Who was outstanding and we can't wait to talk with you about that. But before we get into talking about just how bow ties are cool and everything else like that, we're first going to take it away with a section that I know all of you enjoy, News with Nico. Indeed, Robin Williams planning to return to TV with a new sitcom. Interesting. 30 years after the end of Mork and Mindy, Robin Williams is now plotting a return to TV with a new project with Emmy winner David Kelly. Interesting. Deadline reports that the single camera comedy is set in the world of advertising and would star Williams as a brilliant ad executive working alongside his daughter. Kelly has already penned the script and CBS is now in talks to pick it up. This would be an interesting home for the series, given CBS has kept their focus, and really quite successfully, on traditional multi-camera comedies rather than the single-camera comedy. So it'll be interesting to see if CBS actually goes forward with this. I think it's a move to rival NBC, just in case their plans to do a lot of single-camera sitcoms pans out. But I think, you know, Robin Williams doing a show, David Kelly being involved, that could be something really solid. And I'm assuming that advertising exec role would be similar to, you know, a role that Robin Williams played in Good Morning Vietnam or Dead Poet Society, which is a fun, entertaining guy to watch. But, you know, there are some dramatic flaws to him. Can he deal with dramatic situations? So seeing a character like that on TV every week, I would be interested in seeing that. I think that would work. And it's interesting that a lot of big TV stars, a lot of big movie stars are coming back to TV. It's interesting to see. Absolutely. RoboCop remake loses house, gets a Batman. The upcoming remake of RoboCop has gained the services of Michael Keaton for the role of the film's main villain. This comes after House star Hugh Laurie recently dropped out of the project. The character named Raymond Sellers is the CEO of Omnicore, the corporation that builds RoboCop, which uses their technological monstrosities like the ED-209 to control the population of the future with brute mechanical power. He will apparently be a similar character to Ronnie Cox's Dick Jones, who in the original film was an overambitious second-in-command that used the corporation's resources to run a crime syndicate. RoboCop returns to theaters on August 9th, 2013, so it's coming up pretty quick. Oh, man, I can just see the preview to that movie, Beetlejuice. You are under arrest. (laughs) 
Oh, no. I, Hugh Laurie dropping out, he's a very solid actor. That makes me a little nervous about this movie. I'm nervous yeah, about it to begin with because I love the original RoboCop. I was I was surprised that Hugh Laurie dropped out after he was the one that purchased the rights to the, to the series. So it must have been some sort of conflict with schedules and not really that he felt it wasn't a good movie. So, I hope so. That's what I'm hoping as well. Because uh, RoboCop was a big part of my childhood. That was one of those <laughs> cool action movies I watched as a kid. And I just don't want to see it get crapped all over like some of the other franchises that I enjoyed in the 80s and were brought back. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> Jersey Shore canceled. In the best news of the season so far, <laughs> we will soon live in a world that is Jersey Shore-less. Ooh, yeah. Yes, MTV is canceling this abomination, and the upcoming season six will be the last. Unfortunately, other shows like this are still on TV, and until people realize that this is utter crap and stop watching it, we will still have to suffer through this reality TV phase. This is one step forward in a good direction for us, though, Nico. I agree, and we're seeing a lot better television, scripted television on TV, and People are, are moving away from this reality television because scripted television is so much better these days. Well, and I think people want it back. I think they miss it. Absolutely. I think that's why we're getting so many new shows and so many new things coming our way this season. Once Upon a Time Scoop. Lost is Jorge Garcia lands a giant role. Jorge Garcia will be playing the giant on Once Upon a Time this fall. He is currently only booked for one episode, but with any luck, he'll be popular and be brought back for multiple episodes. I like Jorge Garcia. I think yeah. he's funny. I have enjoyed it. I enjoyed him in Lost, and I enjoyed him in Alcatraz. Despite the flaws with that show Alcatraz, he was a solid member of that cast and very good on that show. So I always enjoyed him. I thought they could have done more with him, but... You know, that was an issue of the show, not of him. So I'm excited to see him on one of our favorite shows from last year. And he's playing the, the giant as in the back check and the being stock giant, right? They just said the giant. Okay. <laughs> it could be any giant. Well, but I yeah, mean, that's my guess. Well, Jorge Garcia is such a lovable guy. He plays lovable characters. I like it that mm-hmm. it's just ambiguous as the giant, mm-hmm. which means we don't really know where that's going. And again, I think it's a great move for Once Upon a Time because he's one of those characters that has like a Nathan Fillon kind of Firefly cast member following. Yeah. Like people watch it because he's on it. And so I think that'll be good. Now for the final story of the week. Sci-Fi is importing Canada's sci-fi drama Continuum. Sci-Fi is continuing its relationship with the fine Canadians of Canada and will be importing Continuum, a buzzy drama starring Rachel Nichols. The 10-episode first season just wrapped up earlier this month on Canada's Showcase TV channel, and a second season has been ordered. And Nichols stars as a cop from the future that is sort of time-transported back to the present-day Vancouver and has to chase down future terrorists who have also time-traveled back. I've seen the entire season on my Canada feed. I'll let you guys decide what that means. But it was excellent. My family and I watched it, and it was it was excellent TV. I'm really happy that Sci-Fi picked it up because that means it's going to be available to the American audience. And the American audience loves Sci-Fi, loves science fiction. And this show will find a home here on Sci-Fi Channel, and it's going to be good. And I was worried because before this news that Sci-Fi had picked it up, had picked up the first season, and then would simulcast the second season, there was no 
final word on whether a second season was going to happen. But because Sci-Fi picked it up, Showcase, the Canadian TV channel, said, okay, we're going to go ahead and bet on this again. And they picked it up for a second season. And that's great news. And this is just more great TV coming out of Canada. Yeah, I mean, great to hear. There's all sorts of great programming getting churned out of Vancouver for Canadian and American audiences. Great stuff. A lot. I, I know a lot of people that are fans of Rachel Nichols. They think she's a solid actress. Some of you probably most well know her as playing Scarlet in the G.I. Joe movie. Yep. But um, a lot of people that I know within the film industry and working within the industry think she's a pretty solid actress. So great to see she's got a break like this. And I think American audiences are going to like her if you know they're importing the show from Canada. Yeah, she did a stint on Criminal Minds, a half-season story arc, or no, a full-season story arc. She came in to replace one of the characters that was gone for a year, and it was decent. Some people didn't like the character, but her acting was solid. Okay. So, yeah, she's had some mainstream U.S. TV experience as well, but this is an excellent show. You guys should watch it if you haven't. I'm going to check it out for sure. Good. And that's the news with Nico for this week. Well, now that we've been talking about sci-fi channel shows and, I guess, shows being filmed in Vancouver, we're going to talk about one right now that actually made another connection to a show that's being filmed in Vancouver right now. So that was kind of interesting to watch this episode. But again, despite that, this is an excellent episode, and I thought it was a really great return to form for the show after it being so dark early on this season. So let's talk about the season four episode of Warehouse 13, No Pain, No Gain. While Artie and Steve investigate the theft of artifacts from the warehouse, Mrs. Fedrick invites Claudia to lunch, and Pete and Micah investigate a miraculously healed athlete. First off, I gotta say, Nico, I like hockey, so I like the hockey theme of this episode. Oh, yeah. And um, it kind of reminded me of the Hockey Bones episode, which I really did enjoy. It was a really solid Sully Booth episode. So that connection like made me like this episode right there. And also, I got to give this episode props because, yes, Warehouse has done the athlete using an artifact to get an advantage plotline before. But what was interesting about this one was the twist that the athlete didn't know an artifact was being used on him. It was being used by this woman that basically was stalking him, which is kind of frightening and messed up and interesting. Colonel, what did you think of that plotline? You know, I... I enjoyed it. I liked the idea that it was an athlete getting an advantage from an artifact, but he wasn't doing it like you just said. That was the good twist. I also liked the way they shot the hockey scenes in this. Yeah. I thought it was much better than actually that Bones episode because exactly. when they showed everybody skating around and they didn't have to have David Boreanaz on the ice, it was a lot more free-flowing, you know, like a hockey game is. But when he was in the picture because there's cameras and it had to be close to get a close-up on him, he couldn't go fast. I know he can skate and he really does like hockey, but it, it right. really made him look like he couldn't skate because they had to be up close in front of him. And you can't skate with a camera in front of you, you no. know? Or at least you can't skate fast or hockey speed. So I thought the way they shot this with more distance shots or more open shots where they were maybe shooting from off ice yep. or the side of the rink or they were they showing could, it from highlight reels too yeah and yeah. or they were shooting from like a hockey perspective like up right. where they shoot the games from you know yeah and that made it have a more real feel and my dad and i both commented about the bones episode i'm like this is so much better than that bones yeah the way they you know it looks and my dad's right. like yeah it actually looks like this this might be like juniors hockey you know and so that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. 
I think because Warehouse is a sci-fi-based show, they think about those shots a little bit better. Right. Or more so because that's their job. I mean, they're always thinking about action shots to begin with. So this being a different type of action shot, and them being good at action shots anyway, I think that was what came together to create this perfect storm of the hockey scenes looking really realistic. Again, speaking of hockey and the stalker and people that were involved with the hockey team, did you notice anything psychic about this episode, potentially? I did. Yeah. I love the fact that the... Oh, what's her name? Uh, the, the chief. Chief, yeah. yeah. Uh, the chief was the villain. <laughs> in this. And then Carlton. Yeah. Carlton was the owner of the... the hockey team. Yes. The hockey team. It was great. And I it looked like he walked off the set of Psych. Yeah, it, it, he did. He, he looked exactly like he was Carlton, you know. So that Lassiter and the Chief in Warehouse, it was it was great. I like. I, I wanted a little more interaction between him and Pete, or or just some kind of reference there, God, because they're both owned by Universal. So I mean, it's safe to do that. I thought we'd get a little more out of him because he is a pretty well known actor, and we didn't. But it was just fun to see him there. Yeah, you know, I I would have actually liked to seen a little between the psycho fan and the team owner. I would have liked an interaction there where, where they maybe even referenced, you know, don't I know you? Yeah. Where, you know, that, that would have been hilarious. I feel like it was a situation where they called it a favor, you know, like an actor got sick or something happened because things like that do happen. And, you know, everyone in Vancouver is kind of connected and they interact with each other. That are right. on TV because they're all just kind of closer, shoot on the same studio. So I feel like they were in a bind, and you know these actors came in and helped them out, which is cool. Well, I think maybe I think she might have been pre-scheduled. She was like a, yeah. a, a guest star, and when somebody got sick or injured, like you suggested, maybe that's why they called in uh, Timothy. What's his Oldmanson? Oldmanson, yeah, to yeah. to cover in a lesser role, and that you know that ended up being a great sight crossover. Not really a crossover. But, you know, essentially. <laughs> well, I was reading the opening credits to the episode that run, like, across the bottom of the screen. And I, I did, like, a double take. I'm like, am I watching the right show? <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's psych credits. What? And then they show up the episode. I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. So that was yeah. an amusing moment for me. God, another amusing thing about this episode was this idea of Micah getting pregnant. I mean, oh, I was laughing so hard. And, and Warehouse, it's a great thing. Yes, it's very dramatic. It's dark. It's sci-fi heavy. There's a lot of overbearing and powerful themes on the show. But Warehouse likes to have fun. And you get a good laugh. And Micah being pregnant was really good. I mean, it just was hilarious at how they roped in Artie in the, the phone call and him not knowing what was going on and then them saying that. That was just really funny. I loved it. And then I liked that they gave it more relevance than just a gag because this amusing situation came. It became even more awkward when it was revealed that it wasn't Micah to made herself pregnant it was pete who wished it upon her using the artifact and i i really like this because it pushed things in the direction of where i wanted to go this season of pete and micah hooking up only for the switching of timelines issue i mean to, to eventually make things more complicated but pregnancy was a good move yeah i really like this idea too i think pete will have to be the one that finally admits that he has feelings for micah yeah and when he does i think that will be what makes her feel safe enough to finally think about having a relationship with a partner again and being okay with that and so i thought this was a great move because it kind of put that out there and he said he said he loved her you know in this yeah. episode and then he tried to play it off as he didn't yeah. i was kind of disappointed that in the next episode we'll talk about they didn't harp on that or didn't even make mention to it i think it will come back up and but i like this idea and i feel very much like it could be a beckett and castle sort of right. relationship and in that they they sort of done the will they or won't they a little bit 
But I think if they go hardcore, will they or won't they the rest of this season, like they started in this episode, right. then by the end of this season, we'll be ready for them to be maybe at that point where they do get together. Well, and I think it could go forward and not have to be an, emis- an immediate rechange the timeline, though we have talked about that being a good way to, to yeah. extend this thing and maybe that's what they do need to do like castle and beckett have extended it two or three times i think i think if you're going to do the timeline switch you can only do that move once on this show yes um fringe only did it once and i think that's a that was fine for them i think warehouse can get away with the same thing but they do one of them needs to remember exactly yes the c i mean you can push the relationship back but the c needs to still be there yes it's it's more of a move if they do switching of the timelines it's more of a move to just prolong the date it's going to happen not prevent it from happening exactly but i don't with me saying that i don't want it to be something so extreme like a eureka situation where they were completely together, married, having a baby, everything was set, and then they threw it all out the window. They went back five years or yes. ten years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was so extreme that it was it, it put things way too far apart. Yeah, and warehouse, I, I just it's it's too family oriented show for that to happen. I think it worked better the second time Eureka did it when they went back to 1941. I agree. First time, whoa, yeah, <laughs> whoa, talk about a show killer in the first season. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't kill the show, but yeah, it yeah. was crazy. It, crazy. I was a little lost first half, second season. Anyhow, moving on with that, I'm glad we addressed the timeline thing because that's the one thing I felt was going to prolong the relationship. Moving on, speaking of if it's too soon or too early to do something, I was reading some articles online that argued maybe it was too soon for one of the warehouse agents, and I'm referring to Jinx on this one, to discover that Artie's secret regarding the astrolabe prompted the Vatican to start stealing artifacts from the warehouse in order to get revenge. And in my opinion, I think Jinx needed to find out about this sooner rather than later because with the guy being a human lie detector, it's kind of hard to keep things from him without going outside the parameters set up for the show's universe. Plus, I mean, Jinx finding out wasn't that much of a show killer because he's got his own secrets. So with Claudia and everything, so it kept the writers from having to totally blow the whistle on the whole situation. Can let Artie keep a secret from at least Pete and Mike a little bit longer, which I think needs to happen. So what were you about this revelation that occurred in this episode between Jinx and Artie, Nico? I think, yeah, Artie had to tell somebody just because Jinx sort of figured it out, you know? He's, or he didn't figure it out, but he figured something was off. And then he knew because of his gift that Artie kept lying to him. Right. So Jinx was the guy because you hit this on the head, Dan, yeah. because you, you totally understood the dynamic. Yeah. Jinx doesn't want to tell Artie what's happening with him. Artie doesn't want to tell anybody what's happening with him. So both of these guys have something to hide. So they don't want to dig too deep into the other guy's issue because they might expose themselves right. and have to talk about theirs. So this dynamic between them made them great allies in this episode because Jinx is only going to go so far in investigating what's going on with Artie because he doesn't want Artie to figure out what's happening with Claudia. Although ultimately he does have to tell him later because he's almost killed by the McCoy rifle or maybe, you know, was it the Hatfield rifle that was shooting at him because he had the McCoy or McCoy shooting, you know, but yeah, one of the two Hatfield and McCoy's rifles rifles were shooting at each other so yeah it was it was good and still concerned about this whole thing with Artie going forward and we might talk about that a little bit more in the next episode because it 
it, it does come up again. But yeah, I, th- I thought this was good the way they set it up with Jinx and, and Artie in this episode. Well, if you have a character that's a human lie detector, don't even bother trying to keep things from him. Just go and have him find out. Guy just makes your life a lot easier and gives you a whole lot more or less headaches as a writer. Yeah. That's what they did. Great job. And with this, the other plotline we had this episode, and there's three, there's so many characters in this show. We're getting a lot of plotlines now. I really enjoyed seeing how an artifact was created in this episode. I mean, we've watched this show for three seasons. We're going on four now. It's about time we see how that works. And my thought process here got this vision of Artie because I need something to make it positive or make it seem like it's happening for a good reason. Because I just don't like the idea of Claudia going full-blown evil. So I'm wondering now if Artie's vision of getting stabbed is somehow Claudia's way of trying to almost create an artifact that will resolve all the issues caused by the astrolabe. I love that idea. I do. I I absolutely love it. And I thought this was an amazing little almost, I don't know, maybe three minutes of screen time. Yeah. The whole the whole Claudia story arc this week took maybe three minutes of screen time. But it was great because, yeah, Mrs. Frederick took her to lunch. They didn't actually eat lunch. They just went and watched this woman, just an ordinary woman, do an extraordinary feat of saving a baby's life and ultimately creating an artifact. And I think it's going to be a good artifact because Mrs. Frederick said, no, that's hers. And unless it starts doing something evil, we don't deal with it. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's going to be... It's going to give that woman courage the rest of her life. And maybe anybody who wears the thing will have courage. And it'll only be if somebody abuses that courage or, or the ability to act when courage is needed that then it becomes a dangerous artifact. And I thought that was kind of a cool little look into the two sides because we do see our warehouse agents using different artifacts. And you always yeah. wonder, why, why would they even use any of them? Because not all of them are evil. Some of them are, are good. And we've seen that happen, and we've seen Artie use them most of the time, but also some of the other warehouse agents use them throughout the three-plus seasons now. So that was cool. Well, and the other thing is, like, yes, every artifact has a downside, but everything has a downside to it. Everything breaks, everything can get damaged, everything can get out of hand. That, yes, artifacts can be used for good, yes, they can be used for evil. It just depends. I mean, it just makes the whole thing make so much more sense. And... The reason why I'm going with this idea of Claudia, that action of her stabbing Artie creates an artifact, because it's very similar to what happened to Pete. Pete got stabbed in the same fashion. So maybe it's almost like they have to cause this event of it making, of almost Claudia killing Artie to happen so they can reset time and balance everything out. Okay. I don't know if that means, like, it ends up meaning Artie dies or where that goes, but that's just, it makes the most sense to me, especially that they're giving Claudia this information and the other characters don't have it. I just feel like that's important. so this scene, yes, it was three minutes, but this might be vital and the crux to everything that goes on this season and the answers to this little conflict we're having right now. And as kind of one last food for thought on this episode, and with this introduction of how artifacts are created, I'm wondering if alphas are the people version of artifacts, as in the idea is that they're both somewhat created by life-changing or traumatic events. Case in point, as we saw in one of the origin episodes of alphas with Nina, their father leaving was a very traumatic event and it activated her alpha, alpha ability and caused that. And now we saw with this artifact that saving a baby, which is, you know, a life-changing event, it, it altered that baby's life because it has a future now, created an artifact. So I'm just wondering, are they similar things? And I think it could be an interesting point of explaining, and Nico, you covered 
covered it perfectly with your point that you made that maybe alphas, maybe, you know, the warehouse people, they're not concerned about alphas and they're not, they don't think they're an issue because they don't believe they're an evil artifact. They don't believe there's an issue. But I'm thinking now that Stan Parrish is running around and making them a threat that they might want to get involved. It might be interested. And I think the other thing is, don't you, don't you think it might jump or grab the warehouse agent's attention that San Parrish and Mrs. Frederick have similar abilities? I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. I know the shows are supposedly supposed to connect. And I just, this is the way that seems to make sense with me. And I know I'm beating a dead horse and I don't know if you really want to talk about Nico because I know you don't like how they're connected. But I just felt like I had to throw it out there because I'm a geek and a fanboy from these shows. and. <laughs> I've got to make these connections. No, it's okay to make those connections. I mentioned last time that I think the connection is going to be more that the warehouse agents are alphas rather than anything in alphas having to do with artifacts. And that's sort of the way I'm going to go in my thinking until they show us actually what's going to happen. But you to make those kind of connections is not wrong. And and you're actually pointing out things that maybe are shooting a couple holes in, in my idea that it's only going to be one way. I think that there is much more crossover or maybe just because we know there's going to be a crossover we're making connections that aren't there but any way you look at it these are valid ideas that you're throwing out there and we we should probably keep them in the back of our mind as we go forward and maybe we will see something that really jumps out at us and it's like okay now I know where they're going so I mean keep it up (laughs) it's something I'm worried about and jumping about kind of worried it's going to mess up both shows severely so like I just try to find ways to make myself feel better about it yeah you'll be experiencing that a lot with me and doctor who throughout this season because there's something i really worried about with that show right and so we'll see where that goes but anyway we're gonna move things on we're gonna jump ahead a little quick so we have more time to talk about doctor who so we're gonna talk about a little less briefly now the next warehouse episode got shattered an artifact from a previous case lewis carroll's mirror turns up missing from the storage and the team has to set out to recover it this episode featured the solid return of a strong season one villain that murderous little girl trapped in the mirror alice may better known as the inspiration for lewis carroll's story alice in wonderland and this time in keeping within the trend of returning villains alice came back more dangerous than ever before because she carried with her a shard of the now broken mirror that she was trapped inside of and to jump within the body of anyone so nico what did you think about the return of Alice? Did it work for you? And did you like the idea of the broken mirror concept, letting her be a little more mobile in her possessing people? Absolutely. The the broken mirror, the little shard she was carrying around was excellent. It, it made her a more dangerous villain, a much harder villain to capture. And that is consistent with this show. If somebody returns after we've already done, you know, neutralized them or an artifact returns and it's been neutralized before, it is more powerful or it is being used more powerfully in this in the second iteration and it has to be in television because otherwise it's just re, a retread and that's boring so this was excellent and the idea that she was obsessed with killing Artie really kind of brought the whole astrolabe idea into the forefront in a new way right. with an old villain and that was really great and i thought it was excellent in this episode yeah, I mean, it really caused him to face this thing head on. You know, you can't keep it trapped under the rug. You know, if you keep a lie, it's, it's very hard for people not to find out about it. And that's really what happened here with poor Artie. And really, yeah. it, it kind of went both ways with this because the cat got out of the bag kind of with Jinx, too. Yeah. And, and there's no better way, as I said, to drop a bombshell on the group than the return of a villain. The return of a villain, it challenges all the characters to face that challenge that they had in the previous episode. And with the villain being more powerful, it makes them have to face 
face that even to a stronger degree. And that normally opens the floodgates for information to come out. And so that worked perfectly as well for the, the connection of between Jinx and Claudia to be found out by the whole group because ultimately Jinx had to use that connection to save Claudia's life from Alice. Yeah, and I thought this was well done. It was very well handled because him jumping in the way and not feeling it and her feeling it, it essentially incapacitated Alice and Alice was able to be subdued by Pete then. And that was great, you know. Exactly. And, or I guess it wasn't Pete. I guess it was it was all on Jinx because he, he shot her yeah. or shot the, the, the shard with the Tesla. Yes. And it trapped Alice back in the mirror. And that was great. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm giving Pete credit for something he didn't do. But, no, Jinx, Jinx did it all. And then it was kind of like she was like, ah, oh, and everybody's like, Jinx, are you okay? And he's like, take care of Claudia. And they're like, what? And then he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which so, is a fun way to bring that up. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be good going forward on that yeah. part. And they'll make it'll be a funny thing from this point forward until it has to be a serious thing. I think the four of them together needed to be on the same page. Yes. As in Claudia and Jinx and Pete and Micah because of Artie's secret and them finding out what they figured out this episode, that stuff is being taken from the warehouse. Um, right. I think the four of them need to be a team to deal with this issue. And, I, and that goes back to my theory that maybe that stabbing of Artie is a decision the four of them make, not something they necessarily tell Artie about because they don't know if he'll go for it. Okay. So that's an interesting thing to throw out there. I don't know if I'm right on that one. And kind of going back to Artie, I like the idea of him, you know, getting to go out on this date with Dr. Calder. I know it's been like three seasons in the making, but he finally got to do that. We finally got to see him have a life outside of the warehouse, even though we knew from the events of this season that it was going to come crashing down around him. Like pretty much which everything else has. So that was no surprise there. And in the end, I have to say, it was a little bit of a cliche for Artie to make the whole noble sacrifice of giving up a romance with a woman he loved in order to protect her. To me, that's a normal thing for TV. We've all seen it. We all know about it. But Artie's a lovable character, and I seriously could not help but feel sorry for the guy, especially with the crappy track record he's had. I mean, essentially, he's had to sacrifice every woman he's loved because of the warehouse. Right. And now he's had to do it again, and it just... It's crappy, and I know he's wrong keeping the secret, and I know some of this is a mess, but, you know, it's too bad. I just felt bad for him. It was sad. Yeah, it was good seeing them out on the date, but you knew something had to go wrong if they were yeah. putting so much emphasis on it. And then I think it's I think it's a mistake, and I don't think it's the end for them. I don't think so either. I think she, she realizes something's wrong. Plus, if we have a time jump, or not a time jump, but a, a timeline rewrite, then they'll be back together, or he'll be dead, you know, because we're saying that maybe he has to be dead for it to, to change. But, you know, so I think there's going to be an opportunity for them to re reconcile. Well, you know, this is what I think could be. Artie could die at the end of the season, and then season five could be Warehouse 13, the search for Artie. Okay. If you catch my Star Trek reference there. Yes. Yeah, that's how it ends. But they think Artie's dead and he's gone, and then they find a way to bring him back or have to find out he's still alive or something. Yeah, they just got to find the re regenesis. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> thought process. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, and the other thing is I felt them having to play up this romance took away from the Pete and Micah. I felt like if they addressed two romances in the same episode, they thought it was overkill. And they felt that there were some other things they needed to explore before addressing Pete and Micah again. 
Or, so I'm thinking next week we'll get to see more of that. What happened with Artie in this episode pushes that forward in the next episode exactly. with Pete Micah. That's a possibility. That's that's true, too. That's a very good call. But that was my response to I mean, I know you made a statement about that earlier, so that was my response to that. Yeah. And lastly, with this episode, after three seasons of asking, why the heck is she here? Lena finally has more of a purpose. You know, we said she was beginning to get a purpose last week. Now she has a purpose that's relevant to the major overarching story, as she is revealed to be the one releasing the artifacts that Artie collected back into the world. But I think she's doing it because she believes what Artie did with the Astrolabe was wrong. Because if you remember in that scene where the golf clubs made Artie go crazy, she was kind of horrified about what he did. So I think she's doing this because she believes in what the Vatican's doing in their cause. Again, she was, she's doing this to cope Artie will do the right thing. Again, I think the warehouse group's going to be upset about this because she's endangering other people trying to teach Artie a lesson. And the only question I have with this last little part is, did she start working for the Vatican when their quarrel with Artie started? Or has she been working for them all along? Because I know, Nico, you said you had a theory that someone was planted in the warehouse the whole time along with the Vatican. So maybe Lena is that person. Yeah, she could definitely be uh, planted in there. The only thing I disagree with, or I interpreted it differently, was that at the end of the scene, she is in the in the dark vault with Artie, and she comes around and she's kind of like, okay? But I didn't necessarily think that that meant she was the agent, just okay. that she was like, what is wrong with him? And like, what is he doing? Why is he screaming into, is he seeing things? Is he t- talking oh, okay. to people who aren't there? So she... She was just more freaked out? Yes. I don't necessarily think that you are wrong. I'm just saying I interpreted it differently. Okay. I don't think it, it necessarily is absolutely that she is the, the turncoat or the the traitor because i thought she was holding like a, a, one of those crystals that they were leaving behind in place of the missing objects within the shell i think so she, I might she was been... planting them there but she oh, might have found it, one i think she might have found one from the okay. or or had taken the one that they found when the lewis carroll's mirror had been gone and jinx said oh those are the things that artie has been finding or you know that we found a bunch of those at the the warehouse when we found a bunch of the missing artifacts and everybody was like what what are you talking about Artie didn't tell you okay so i'm not i'm not convinced yet but okay. it it did maybe point that way a little bit I still think it could be explained that she was just freaked out by him talking to nobody. A quick note while editing, she was not holding one of the black diamonds. She was holding one of the neutralizing bags when that last scene. Well, I think based on our opinions here is that this episode did its job because the main thing you want to do with the TV show episode is to get people excited and get people talking and wanting to watch the next episode. And I think making us debate about this and really kind of go at it on our opinions is a great move because we're obviously excited, passionate about it, that we're going to watch it again. So I guess the writers did their job, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're debating this one. Yeah, that's what they want to do. They want to get us talking. So far, so good with this season of Warehouse 13. Again, it had to start out dark. I think that was because that's just the way it had to go to set up the plot lines for this episode. But now it's beginning to lighten up a little bit more. And I think we're going to go a lighter direction. Um, normally, season three for a show is pretty dark. And so, interesting enough with Warehouse, their dark period kind of like started in season three. They kind of flowed a little bit into yeah. season four, just slipped into there a little bit. And now we're going back to the lighter nature of a season four. So, okay. uh, but just how it was lined up, the, the entire season of season 
three didn't end up dark, but I think season three was declared as the dark season because season four is the way out. Yeah. It just started a little bit darker than most season four start. I agree. Okay. So with that, we're going to move on to a show that supposedly is supposed to have a pretty dark season. And we might be just going downhill from here because uh, last season ended on a pretty big high note. So I don't know if we're going down the rabbit hole from here. What's going to happen? We're hearing that major character deaths are on the way, and that's got us all jumpy. Stephen Moffat did some things in this episode to make me feel a little bit better about the changing of the guard. But we'll see on this. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, Nico. And real quick, we're going to mix things up with this section. We're going to have Nico take charge of this section, the discussion. So let's take it away with talking about the Doctor Who episode, the Series 7 premiere, Asylum of the Daleks. The Daleks summon the Doctor, Amy, and Rory to help them by traveling to an ice planet on a perilous mission. Finally, after nearly nine months of waiting, we finally have a new Doctor Who episode to discuss. And while we will have the return of the Weeping Angels, the There's No Way This Can't Be Amazing Dinosaurs on a Spaceship episode coming up next week, a Whovian Western with Cowboys versus Aliens episode, and the ever-impending sad departure of the Ponds all planned for us before Christmas. It was showrunner Stephen Moffat himself who came up with the big idea, the bold and suitably crazy enough idea to kickstart Series 7. Or actually, this is Series 33, depending on your nerdiness with this show. But he kicked it off with a bang. This episode had just about everything. More Daleks than we've ever seen before relationship issues, glimpses of the Doctor's future, and a few surprises. Now, I loved this episode. Absolutely loved it. I thought it kicked off Series 7 amazingly. How about you, Dan? What were your overall thoughts for this premiere? Here's the thing. Season premieres of the show, they never just seem to pack that same punch that the finale does, the series finale. And Doctor Who Series 6 finale was outstanding. Yes. I mean, it was an episode that had me cheering at the TV, yelling, screaming, freaking out, surprised, shocked, you name it. Season premiere shows up for this. Same thing happened as the previous episode. This was an outstanding season premiere. I mean, wow. I mean, they did not miss a beat since they stopped at the end of Series 6. And that's an impressive feat. I mean, whoa. This episode, I mean, I was glued to the screen the whole time. Yes. And shocked and very loud and yelling. And my parents thought I was very strange. (laughs) But you know what? This episode deserved that amount of excitement. So I was very, very pleased. There were some things I was very, very nervous about going into it. There were some things that happened at the beginning of the episode that made me nervous. But I had to remind myself, don't worry. This is Stephen Moffat. He's got this. He's right up there with Joss Whedon and the Fringe Riders. So we're good. We're safe. And and that played out perfectly in this episode. It was outstanding. And there were some things I had no idea were coming. And it's made me kind of excited to see how things play out. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because I'm I'm a huge fanboy when it comes to Doctor Who. And so being objective with the quality of this episode might have been a little hard for me because nine months is a long time to go. Even though I did an entire series rewatch, nine months without a new episode was a long time for me. And so it was it was great to see it. And I thought maybe I was being a little, you know, oh, I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm giving it a lot of go. But I really thought this was an excellent episode, too. I didn't realize how much I missed it. Yeah. Until watching this. I was just like, there's been a void in my life without this. Yeah. So if you didn't watch the Pond's Life web series leading up to this episode, the relationship issues between Amy and Rory probably took you completely by surprise. 
even having watched them, I was not a huge fan of this decision by Moffat. But let me just say, it totally paid off later in the episode when we got a feel for why they were having issues in the first place. Amy's revelation about being unable to have more children because of what happened at Demon's Run. And for once, Amy, well, maybe she did this in The Girl Who Waited, but really it was the first time we've yeah. seen it in the consistent timeline, showed that she loves Rory as much as he loves her. That was awesome. And Dan, I just want to know what your thoughts on this kind of marital problem story arc were and the whole idea of Amy finally admitting that she loves Rory as much as he loves her. Well, I kind of dropped the ball as a podcast host covering Doctor Who that I did not watch that web series. Whoops on my part. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't watch it, to be honest. Okay. Because I was floored by it. It was a shocking way to start the episode, and it got me right into it. Yeah. What it, wait, what happened? How did that work? And I, I was annoyed by it to the point that I just wanted to keep watching to see how it played out. Okay. Because I was so upset that I couldn't not pull away. The same effect happened with me with Young Justice when they came back to that show and all of a sudden Miss Martian and Superboy weren't together. Right. Wait, what? Huh? Can Amy Rory, I'm, I'm shipping for them. So that happening is like, whoa, where'd this go? <laughs> and what got me a little nervous here is shows have a tendency when they're going to kill characters off or get them off the show, they sometimes, can some have a habit, not everyone does this, but they end up trying to make us absolutely hate the character so we can make the process of them getting killed off a little bit easier or make us feel like it's time for them to go, even though it really shouldn't be. And so that's what I thought they were doing. I thought they were trying to make us hate Amy so we can accept her death again. And I was just like, wait a minute, Stephen Moffat is such a better writer and so much more innovative than that. Why would he go for that classic cliche? Right. So that's what kept me watching because I was like, there's a trick to this. There's something, there's a purpose. And really with Stephen Moffat, he's a writer you have to watch really closely because there's a purpose to every little thing that happens in his scripts. There's a reason why he does everything, even the slightest little thing. For instance... You know, when the zombie Daleks were chasing after Amy and the Doctor in the spaceship? Yes. I thought it would have been really cool if they closed the zombie's hand in the door and the zombie's hand would have fell on Amy. And I was like, why didn't they do that? That would have been the coolest thing. Like, you know, it's a classic zombie cliche. The hand falling off and falling on the girl and she freaks out. I'm like, why didn't you do that? And then I realized they didn't do that because it was so the zombie Dalek could take the band off her arm that was keeping her from being infected. Right. I'm like, that makes sense. So see, there's little, little small details. Stephen Moffat's very meticulous. And he did an excellent job here, you know, paying attention to that. So even breaking up Amy and Rory, it had its reasons. It had its purpose. And I think it gave this episode a real solid punch that it needed. So at first it was infuriating, but as time passed, it made more sense. Absolutely. And that's what I was saying as well. Is it, it definitely had a payoff later on when we get that reconciliation between these two. And of course, that's that reasoning of her not going to be able to have children is going to break them up. Right. That's a really rough, rough issue. And I think there's people out there that can relate to that scenario. It's, that's a really hard thing for a woman. It really, really is. So I understand and, where it came from. Yeah. And then I think the the scene that absolutely clinched this whole story arc was once the doctor dropped them off at the end of the episode and they're just standing out in front of their, their house and she walks in the door and leaves it open for him and he does like a happy dance yeah. and she's like, I can see you. And he's like, oh, right. And yeah. walks in. <laughs> classic Rory. It was classic Rory, and I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay. Moving on a little bit. When I mentioned earlier a glimpse into the Doctor's future and some surprises, what I really meant was, what was Jenna Louise Coleman doing in this episode? And wait, what? She became a Dalek? Oh, my God. Holy cow. 
Jenna Louise Coleman's Oswin or Souffle Girl debuted with an electrifying bang. She was smart, sassy, somewhat of a genius, and a sexy, mildly bicurious traveler. Indeed, she nearly stole this episode. Not only that, she had a pathos-driven super twist of an ending to her origin story that leaves us guessing not only when, but how she'll reappear. Now, we know that she was going to show up in the Christmas special coming up on Christmas, but how? <laughs> uh, it's got to be one heck of a Christmas special. That's a yeah. I mean, that's got me super excited for Christmas, but talk about a huge surprise, though you probably guessed it before they finally did the reveal. This was a very well done surprise that somehow was not spoiled or leaked online. So what was she doing here? I I mean, seriously, with today's online media and everything, everything gets spoiled or everything gets leaked somewhere. How did this not get leaked, you know? Because it was such a big deal about Amy Pond leaving. Yes. Everyone got so distracted with that. Everyone got so distracted. Well, who's the new companion going to be? They were so worried about the who. They weren't worried about how she was going to get brought in. Yeah. And what was she doing here in Series 7's first episode? And do you think that... Because she was so brilliant and essentially a genius, is that what is going to cause the doctor to somehow adjust her timeline or do something to save her from her fate of becoming a Dalek? And do you have any ideas on how that could possibly work? I feel like that maybe something because of Amy's and Rory's possible death, that that saves her somehow. Right. I was thinking something similar. I I think that's a strong possibility. Like maybe that's a final gift they give to him or they're in a position where they can save her somehow. Or maybe their death creates some way to give her her body back. I don't know. It was the best move you could do to bring this character in when we still have Amy and Rory with us. Because I think it makes us more open to liking her. We're not hurting yet, so we're more open to accepting her coming in. So I thought that was genius. And she is written incredibly well. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. Like, I mean, Amy Pond, her dialogue with the Doctor is really well written. Mm -hmm. This rivaled it. And I didn't think that was possible. Right. I mean, it's one episode so far, so we can't be like, oh, my God, it's going to be just as good as Amy Pond. But it was pretty it, darn it, close. It was pretty darn close in this one in- instance. And her so, interactions yeah. with Rory was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, take, off, take off your shirt. Is this necessary? No. <laughs> then why? <laughs> and so she could get away with Ferdinand Rally for Rory. We enjoyed that. That's a big step forward. Yes. And her and the doctor almost being as smart as each other. That's cool to watch. And and what's the best thing to do when, you know, pairing two characters together, you know, or forming a partnership? Because having the doctor, who he is, and pairing him with, eventually you're going to pair him now with something that represents his most hated enemy. You know, right. it's the closest you could get to teaming up the doctor with a Dalek. Right. And that's crazy. I mean, the the potential for material just based on that premise is amazing. And, and at one point in the episode, didn't it seem like the doctor was going to let her die because she was a Dalek? Yes. So he's faced with having to overcome his hatred for the Daleks by essentially having her as his companion. It challenges him. Yeah. And if Amy and Rory represent love, then maybe it's because of their death that's what gets him to essentially care for her and want okay. to save her. Yeah. I think it's all connected. I think it was very important. As I said with Stephen Moffat, every little thing he does comes back and gets paid off importantly. And I think this was another choice. And I think the audience loved her. I hope the audience liked her as much as we did. I think they did. I hope that some people didn't realize who she is because that will make it such a huge shock when she comes back for them. 
but I knew who she was in, not instantly. It took me to like maybe the second or third time I saw her on screen. And then I was like, yeah. no, I, I'm, I'm positive. That's who that is. And so, yeah. It was, knew, it was great. I knew it was her. I did not see the dog thing coming. Oh, no, anywhere. no, no. I didn't see that until he said we have a problem, and then I knew. And I laughed at the souffle line. I just thought he was being goofy again. Yeah. And that was even important. Yeah. I mean, that Where was, did you get the milk? <laughs> he knew right away. Yeah. That was crazy, too. Well, it's the doctor. <laughs> but he had to go and get her because he was curious. Yes. Because he's always curious. Mm-hmm. So that was perfect, too. Yeah. And as we've said, the Asylum of the Daleks episode was a huge triumph. Yes. It was witty, crazy, and had a heartfelt emotional streak running throughout. This episode catered first and foremost to the characters we've come to love. Matt Smith flip-flopped between icy, cool menace as the Predator and the chirpy, charming, frenetic doctor we all love with an ease we've come to expect from Matt. But with just five episodes left, Moffat cast the main emotional spotlight on Rory and Amy. And I love Amy and Rory and their story arc in this season, this episode, but especially this episode was beautiful. And it got awful dusty in my living room watching this episode. I was uh, on the verge of tears the entire time. It was it was it was really good. But that's and that's really because it wasn't some weird wacky sci-fi thing that broke them up or right. even the doctor. It was a human issue, a problem that real people in the real world deal with. Right. And that sold it perfectly to the audience. That's what's great about Doctor Who. Yes, it is sci-fi, but the conflicts and the problems all drive from human emotion than things that really exist within the real world. And I'd have to say the only downside to this episode was that with so much else going on, the much-hyped every Dalek ever smorgasbord was yes. sort of underwhelming in its brevity. And while they certainly seemed the scariest Daleks we've seen in years, especially with the new conversion Daleks, it felt less a tale about the Daleks than an adventure that just happened to have them in it. That being said, I'm intrigued to see where the Dalek mind wipe reboot kind of leaves their relationship with the Doctor going forward. That could be really cool in his future and as you, you mentioned, Dan, you know, how he maybe comes to try and save General Louise Coleman's character. Well, you know, a big thing with what's made Stephen Moffat so successful working on Doctor Who is he respects the classic Doctor Who villains, the classic Doctor Who mythology, but he gives it a twist to yes. make it more interesting and more exciting. Kind of like what Warehouse did with bringing back Alice May. They brought back the villain and made her more dangerous to make her more interesting, to make her not feel like a retread. And Stephen Moffat is really good at doing that, especially with Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who's been around for 30 years, and he's still giving us fresh and new things about the Dalek, which has been around since the beginning of the show. So the fact that he can keep making this concept interesting is really cool and really impressive. And so I think that that's where they're going with the Daleks forgetting things. I think they're really trying to figure out, they're really trying to go for a plot line where the Doctor's trying to figure out a different way to stop the Daleks. He's tired of the constant fighting. He's tired of the constant violence. He wants to do something else because he's bored of their good and evil struggle. He wants to do something else to deal with it. And I think resetting their memory of him was the perfect way to do that. And I think with his companion essentially being someone that was turned into a Dalek and then turned back to human, I think he's going to eventually learn to be a little more tolerant of them, where he's going to fight for a message of peace between them instead of a message of violence. Kind of, you know, a good example would be would be like what Aang did in the end of Avatar, The Last Airbender, that animated series, where he went for the option of peace instead of the violence of killing the Fire Lord and just running the risk of the war continuing again. Right. So I feel like that's where they're going with the Doctor. And ultimately, that's what they should go with the Doctor. I mean, this is a, a kid's show, and you want to teach kids good morals, and the Doctor, you know, trying to find a, a way to solve, you know, fighting 
fighting conflict peacefully instead of relying on violence, I think that's a good message to teach. And I yes. think that's the theme Moffat's going for, and I respect him for that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Did you have any final thoughts or anything Outstanding going episode. forward? Yeah, me too. Um, I, I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah, I'm excited for next week to see the dinosaurs on the on the uh, spaceship. And I'm wondering if we're going to see dinosaurs in the TARDIS. That would be kind of awesome. That would be kind of awesome. This show, wow, I'm just all I have to say about this. Fringe is this good, too. I'm not saying it's not. But Stephen Moffat really deserves a lot of recognition. And, I mean, the movie studios need to bust on his front door to get him to write for them because this is great stuff. To be honest, I hope that doesn't happen. I want him to stay with Doctor Who and Sherlock and just do the do, great yeah. TV that he's doing because I don't want those shows to suffer with him doing great movies. I know he would be amazing with movies, but yeah. I, I want him to stay right where he is because I love and, the Doctor. <laughs> and, and very well, I think he's happy with what he's doing. And he yes. might do that. Yeah. And and that's fine. But I'm just saying this guy, he's up there with the greats. He's up there with Joss Whedon. Moffat deserves as much respect. But more people need to be watching this show. Chris Hardwick goes right when he got on that commercial. And I know he was saying it was a joke, but more people need to find out and experience Doctor Who. Absolutely. So that's all I'm going to say. We'll wrap that up now. We'll move on to talking about another sci-fi show that's got me really excited on TV. Alphas with the episode Gaslight. People like me. An alpha goes insane, and his delusions lead him to abduct Rachel. However, when the rest of the team search for her, they find themselves entangled in a series of bizarre situations. Yeah, and the summary for that episode, I don't know if it fit exactly. It really wasn't about this situation where Rachel was taken hostage and they had to save her. It was more about Gary dealing with the concept of death, got losing his friend Anna, which has been an issue for him throughout all of this new season, especially with this idea of him feeling he has to scream in the morning to deal with her death. And... Gary, he doesn't, I guess, fully understand what death means or how that works or the concept of it. Again, I don't think really any of us do. So it was a relatable thing for anybody, regardless if they have a disability like Gary does or not. So I just thought it was really well dealt with. It had its funny parts at the beginning. Kind of stuff with Gary always does. You know, him dressing up in a suit was kind of a funny thing. And there was some offbeat comments he made at the funeral that was funny and entertaining. And Rachel had to kind of make him leave, even though she, and she was left really embarrassed by the whole thing. And so it kind of got fun. And then it got really serious as this alpha that was in the hospital kind of goes crazy, starts seeing people that he thought were dead, now alive. And his powers kind of going haywire causes Gary to see a hallucination of Anna. And it forces him to really take on the concept of him losing her dead on. And it was really, I thought, well done. As for the rest of the characters, I thought these bizarre situations that they were going through, and they, they were basically having their own hallucinations because this alpha's powers went crazy, were more suitable for a show like Supernatural. Again, when I watch Alphas and I turn it tune into the show, I want to see super-powered people fighting, get the world dealing with the concept of having superhumans in it. And so, this kind of scene, this hallucination horror stuff in Alphas was a little off-putting to me, but I could accept it because the Gary-Anna stuff was so great. So, Nico, why don't you talk to everybody, you know, what you thought about Gary's plotline, and what you thought of the Alphas' powers going haywire and causing the rest of the team to see hallucinations. You know, I agree with you, Dan. The Anna part with Gary of this episode was one of only two things that I liked about this 
episode. I felt like you said this episode was really outside the scope of the show and felt more like something we'd see in Supernatural than Alphas, you know? And so the whole episode was quite disappointing for me. I I really didn't like where this whole hallucination plotline came from. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I was turned off by it. Yeah, you know, I this was a hard one for me to write about, to take notes about, because it was so off-putting and there was so much stuff in it that I just really didn't care for mm-hmm. or, um, you know, wanted to talk about. I felt the idea of an alpha's powers going haywire and getting out of control was good. I just think how they went about the haywire thing was kind of awkward. Yeah. And the end of it, I mean, the way it was all wrapped up with Gary almost sacrificing the lives of his teammates because it was hard for him to fully understand letting Anna go was, I thought it was really well done and it was heartbreaking. I mean, Gary, yes, went ahead and made the heroic decision and saved his friends over keeping this image of Anna with him. And, you know, it was heartbreaking, though. And kind of seeing Gary heartbroken made me love the character more. It made me want to cheer him on more so he could overcome this sadness, I guess he's feeling. Yeah, absolutely. This was a great Gary episode. And everything else we've said about it, throw that out when we talk about the Gary part, because it really was very good for the Gary character. And, you know, he's always played so well. And it it was just a lot of fun watching Gary. But everything else I could, well, almost everything else I could could throw out and not really care about. Well, it just seems like everything they do with Gary turns to gold. Yeah. It really, really works well. And he is a very, very compelling character to watch on television right now. I really mean that. Um, Ryan Cartwright, who is great as Vincent Nigel Murray on Bones and a much missed character is just as great of an actor on this show and it's enjoyable to see where his work goes and him and David Strathern got working together is just really well done impressive to watch too I enjoy yes. both actors tremendously and uh, David Strathern you know he had decent scenes in this episode as well we got scenes with him basically easing Nina back into being a part of the team and basically he has her use her powers to find out why exactly Mary from Dumb and Dumber left her briefcase at an airport only for a crazy crazy limo driver to pick it up. Uh, actually, it was just, this character was a senator played by the same actress who was Mary in Dumb and Dumber. But Nina was sent to ask her what her connection was to Stanton Parish. And with this plotline, I was kind of surprised to see Nina get back in the field so soon. But I think this was something the writers just needed us to accept and go with because we just need to have the understanding that Nina having a slow recovery would only slow down the show's ongoing story that it needs to keep going because, I don't know, this is season, I think this season only has 13 episodes. So if they took time to develop Nita's recovery more, I think it would just take away from everything else. So what did you think of the Nita plotline there, uh, Nico? Yeah, I really liked the idea of someone having a memory-erasing alpha ability that makes makes even Nina unable to get it out of them. That means we'll probably come face-to-face with this alpha at some point this season as Stanton Parrish will likely need to keep more and more information from Lee Rosen so he doesn't have any idea or doesn't have a full grasp of what his overall plan is. And also, going back to Nina, they, they couldn't keep Nina on the sidelines for too long without right. the overall story arc slowing, like you said. They did a decent job of showing how messed up she is and how no one really trusts her other than Rosen, yeah. but they still threw her back into the field. And I think her recovery will still be slow, but we'll only see when she is either doing well and out in the field, or we will see her setbacks because it's TV and that's what's exciting. So we'll see yeah. the exciting stuff or, the, or the, the plot driving stuff, and we won't really see the hard days where she's making progress and doing good work. That's going to be boring for a lot of people. So I think what yeah. we're going to see is just the good points and the bad points for Nina the, going 
going forward. Well, the the memory erasing alphas thing, that's something that we haven't not seen before with these superhero kind of shows. You know, Heroes had the Haitian, right. who was very good at doing that sort of thing. And The Ordinary Family had a guy like that. If any of you watched that show. But these shows have had that. So that's a normal thing. I like it that there's someone that can almost counteract Nina. That might mean she has a big nemesis coming, which would be kind of interesting because that really may challenge her big time to face some of her problems. As you said, we're going to see those bad days and maybe running into this person will be one of those bad days. So that could be exciting to see. Again, as you said, I agree with you. I was glad the process wasn't made completely 100% easy for Nina, as this episode did address that there are some serious friendship issues between Rachel and Nina at this point. Yeah. Because they were very, very cold to each other. There were some issues, but we also still do know that Rachel does care for Nina as she hallucinated her drowning at the bottom of a pool, and she almost died herself trying to save Nina. Yep. And lastly with this episode, I don't know what is Gary up to with this whole online Twitter revolution. I know it's... It's about more than just the sci-fi channel starting up a great marketing campaign, which I did join in and fall for because I did post some of those hashtags on Twitter. I'm, I'm wondering, is Gary on the course towards getting into bed with Stan Parrish like Anna did, which I feel like is unlikely, or is he almost setting up his own movement separate from Dr. Rosen against Stan and Parrish, kind of following his own beliefs and philosophies? Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on here with Gary and where it will go, but it does seem he is working independently of everyone else and trying to start a separate revolution. What the goals of that revolution or where it will go are still unclear, but I doubt he will join Stanton Parish because this is, you know, more a result of him being sent to Bingington yeah. and another way for him to deal with both his anger over his treatment by the government and the death of his friend Anna. So I think this is more of his own independent work. And he's I, I just don't know where it's going to go, but yeah. he is going to I think he is using it as a way to keep her alive in his memory and those who cared about her. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a vengeful thing, though. No, I don't think there's any malice behind it. Gary's just he's he's been displayed, especially with the sacrifice he made in this episode, that he is a heroic character. Mm hmm. He is he's essentially a hero in this story. And I do think he is trying to, he has heroic goals behind what he's trying to do. I think so. It may not agree with Rosen and it may not agree with Stanton Parrish, but I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. And if it goes that direction, that's unfortunate that they're going to do that with the show because I just love the character too much. God, he's been too well done to see him go off the deep end kind of thing. Right. So, not going to win, hoping for that one. Again, so far, the decisions they've made on this show have been pretty good. I mean, the individual episode plot lines, like this one with the hallucinations, were a little bit iffy, but the overarching stuff and the character development seem to be rock solid. So, as long as they can keep that going, I'm not too worried yet. Oh, absolutely. So, let's talk about another episode of Alphas that kind of addresses a little bit of a concern I'm having regarding TV right now. I'm not the show in general. The show in general is in good shape and there were some good things that occurred in this episode and was much more of what I expect to see from this show rather than the previous episode. So let's talk about the Alpha's episode Alphaville. Rosen goes to Alpha Gadgeteer Skylar Adams for help dealing with Stanton Parrish but Skylar and her daughter are soon at risk when Stanton gets too close. This episode marked the return of Summer Glau to Alpha's reprising her role as the Gadgeteer Skylar Adams. And I don't know, I've got to get on my soapbox with this. It's been bothering me. Michael's talk, Michael and I have talked about it a little bit. i got to say that the excitement of having Summer Glau showing up on a guest star is kind of wearing off on me a little bit. I mean, she always kind of shows up in the same kind of role as, you know, the action kind of chick kind of thing. And I'm really kind of getting this vibe that anyone could play her parts. 
but because she was on Firefly, that gives her an advantage. And I don't that does not go for all the Firefly actors, as you know. But I just don't really think she should get more opportunities because she was on Firefly. I just don't think she's had that on-screen crackle or presence that people like Alan Tudyk, Nathan Fillon, obviously, Adam Baldwin, or Marina McCarran had on screen. I mean, Marina McCarran, yes, was on V, and that show was canceled, but she was incredibly frightening in that role. I mean, you, she had an on-screen presence, and Nathan Fillon obviously has done that as Castle. Adam Baldwin, all of them, really have, but Summer Glau, I'm just not feeling it there. And, I mean, I love Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, but what made that show great was the development of John Connor and Sarah Connor and the Derek Reese character. That's what I liked about it, and the, and the, you know, the machine concepts that come with the Terminator franchise. That's why I really liked that show. Summer Glau was good on there, and I liked it that it was recognized face of the show, but I'm just getting tired of her just showing up everywhere, and then she's got this reputation as the show killer. But now I see her show up, and it's like, oh no, this show's gonna get cancelled out too. Because everything I've watched that she showed up on, it's gotten cancelled. So I don't know. I just, I, I'm getting tired of it a little bit, and I don't know if that means I'm crazy. I'm not swearing off Firefly, but I don't know. It just, I just had to get that off my chest there. Well, I gotta disagree a little with, with you, and I think she was excellent as Cameron on Sarah Connor. And okay. may, yeah, she may have been better in her first showing as or last season, but still, this was good in this episode, too. Yeah. I think Summer gets a bad rap as a show killer or or being cursed, but I have enjoyed her roles on, of course, Firefly, Sarah Connor Chronicles, Dollhouse. She was good on Dollhouse. I, I think, you know, Dollhouse gets a bad rap, but... Oh, I forgot was, that episode. She came in and had a, a couple episodes yeah. in Dollhouse in the second season, I which I thought that. was much better than the first half of the first season and even the cape i know the cape got you know just lambasted by the the reviewers but she was actually pretty good on the cape she was the tech second person or helper that helped the guy who was being the cape and i thought she did an excellent job in that and i've liked her in pretty much most things and i don't think it's a firefly bias on my part i just do like her i i liked her seemingly in this episode hating being a mother and yet still when her kid was in trouble dropping everything and going after her like a bear protecting her cub so i i think she was better than maybe Maybe you're giving her credit for in this, or maybe guess. you're 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 just tired of her as an actor. I, I don't know. I, I just like it's just I feel like everyone's had something after Firefly now, and, yeah. and she just hasn't gotten it yet. Well, she's definitely had shows. They just haven't had yes. the same success that maybe Chuck and Castle have had. Yeah. But well, and or, Marina McCarran was on uh, what's it? The Homeland, right? Homeland is amazing. Yes. Yeah. She. That one's going to go for a while for her. Yeah. And I think this suburgatory for Tudyk will will also be a, a big success because I've enjoyed the first season. And who knows, you know, second seasons on sitcoms can always be either the the, the launching point where it just takes off or it can be the, the death of the show. So we'll see how it picks I up. I think that show's in pretty good shape. Oh, yeah. Everybody on yeah. that show. Is, is excellent and it's just it, it's funny because it makes fun of reg- everyday life yes which is 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 where a lot of good sitcom comedy comes from so i think everybody's doing well and she just hasn't had that one project that just took off after firefly i mean even right. firefly you know it didn't take off and but until it was canceled and then it was like the best show ever in everybody right. else's mind so i mean i love firefly and i, I loved it from the first day i saw it so <laughs> it's just but getting off that track because we're really going off track there let's go back to alphas 
The reason why Dr. Rosen goes and seeks out the Skylar character, the hidden colony of alphas, was a good one because he basically wanted to see how a normal photic stimulator that could basically be found in relatively any hospital to help coma patients, because we saw in the last episode, was designed in a way to enhance alpha's abilities. And I like this concept of this photic stimulator enhancing abilities because normally when something is created within the movies or in comic books to enhance superhuman abilities, it's always some elaborate, huge, over-the-top machine or some drug that's not FDA-approved and everyone's arguing over it. But with this being something so simple that it could just be slipped into hospitals without really a second thought, it makes the concept way more chilly than anything we see in the comic books. I mean, it's really frightening that there's this secret underground war of alphas becoming stronger going on right underneath everyone's noses. I mean, it just makes Stan Parrish's coalition look that much more freaky. And it didn't really help matters at all that Stan Parrish's right-hand man got the device used on him, got it enhanced his fire-controlling abilities to a really frightening degree when he almost killed Hicks. So, I mean, what do you think of the whole photic stimulator concept and the power-enhancing stuff that was going on there, Nico? I really liked it. I liked the idea that it was just a normal off-the-shelf machine, but they put that really microscopic circuitry into the wires. They hit it so well that it took Skylar really – she would not have found it. It ended up being Rachel who happened to see when she was using her super microscope eyes, her ability to see on the microscope level that she saw the circuitry. And then they were able to find it, and then then Skylar was able to figure out what it did. That was also a good move because it was a team effort. It wasn't like, oh, we'll take it to Skylar and she'll be the genius who helps us this time. It was everybody doing their part and the whole team coming together. So that also was a good plot point as well. But yeah, I really liked the idea that it was an off-the-shelf machine that they modified in a very sneaky way that nobody else, nobody not non-alpha would ever have been able to determine what it did. Well, and what's even scarier is who's the alpha that installed that, that built the machine? Yeah, it's got to be like Captain Adam. Yeah, like some genius-level, frightening alpha kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably... Somebody like Skylar was able to design it, and then somebody who can work at the miniature level or the microscopic level, whether that means they are, I doubt that we're going to see somebody who can shrink themselves down to the size of an atom. Yeah, it seems a luxury for the show. <laughs> but yeah, something like that where they have the fine motor ability to work on that level, that might be an alpha ability. The fine motor ability, I like that concept. Yeah. That seems feasible. Yeah, it'd be like Hicks on the microscopic level you know exactly i agree that could make a great nemesis for him as well yeah possibly speaking of enhancing abilities this show really seems to be setting up a trend that alphas without this machine are also fully capable of enhancing their abilities on their own as we saw gary pick up something other than radio signals in this episode and also earlier this season we see bill resolve the effects his ability has had on his heart when he was trained by cat in being able to fight in the alpha fight club yeah i think the i think with bill it's a little different because it was the ability to let go and just right. use his his natural ability that he wasn't forcing it and that's why his 
body is not having detrimental effects from using his, you know, and his downside is been limited or or modified. But yeah, Gary picking up other signals, it's very much, he's always been able to catch or do stars because right. they have the same radio signals that some of our tech has. But I think it's kind of cool that he can hear the very, very slight radio signals that plants or animals give off. And that's cool. And I think that will come in helpful in a future episode where we're going to see him use those to maybe pinpoint where somebody is. Well, and I have to really give these writers props on the research that they put into making these abilities work for the alphas and the science that goes into it. I mean, they really take the time to do their homework and make it sound logical within a realistic world. Yeah, it might not be entirely possible, right. but they at least make it sound like it could be. Yes, or they at least set up that the theory is there. Yes. And so everything is based on fact on what they try to do with this show, or at least they try to make it sound like it is. This is called science fiction, and they understand that science needs to go into it. Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, we know from Doctor Who and stuff like that, there's also philosophy and other things that need to go into it as well. But there is science that is a very important part of sci-fi. And at the same time, speaking of how Alphas connects to other things within sci-fi, the concept of the Alphas colony really reminded me of the Morlocks from the X-Men. They were the mutants that lived in the sewers. Mm -hmm. Because they felt like they couldn't live with humanity. Right. And them kind of blaming Dr. Rosen for bringing violence upon them reminded me an awful lot of the outcome, which came out of that Morlock story, where basically the X-Men showing up brought violence down upon them. Right. Because so when that guy accusing Dr. Rosen of violence, I'm like, okay, we're going with the Morlocks here. But that happening kind of gave me the vibe that this season really could end with a finale where Dr. Rosen may end up really questioning his methods. And it could potentially possibly believe, maybe for like a little bit at the beginning of season three, that Stan and Parrish's methods are right and that he's got the right philosophy on how to deal with the whole alpha situation. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if it's going to go that extreme. Yeah. He may start questioning his own methods, but I don't think he'll ever uh, subscribe to Stanton Parrish's philosophy. Okay. Because I don't think he will ever come to that side where alphas are better than humans or alphas and humans can't coexist. Okay. I do not think he will ever get that far. He may start questioning how he's going about it, whether exposing alphas was the right play or if it was completely wrong. I think he will question that for the remainder of the season, maybe into next season but i think he will never think that alphas are better or alphas are the next evolution and uh, humans need to get out of the way or anything of that nature or that they can't coexist and be helpful and beneficial for each other's survival i just don't see that well and and i want to take a step back on that concept a little bit and and think of this maybe it's Dr. Rosie comes to the point that maybe he's not the one to almost be the spokesman for the alphas. Okay, yeah. Of his philosophy, that he needs to stand back because he's human and let someone else spread his philosophies. That's an alpha. Okay, I could see that, yeah. So my thought process here is maybe he realizes that Gary should be that person. And he acts as an advisor to Gary. That's an interesting thought. To help him get it across. And that's what the revolution eventually becomes. Is he realizes it's not my place to share these philosophies. They need to listen to someone like them. And so maybe I can get Gary to see things the way I see it. And through Gary, we can accomplish my goal. Yeah, I like that idea. And they rally around Gary and his struggle with his own disability and this loss of Anna and this terrible thing that happened. 
you know, it's tragic. I mean, that's a death is what heroes rally around. And deaths, I think, or martyrs in cases are what people, you know, rely on or use as fuel to make a difference. And so I'm thinking that maybe that's the route they go. Yeah, I think that would work. I think it'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the dynamic and how it play out and some of the other Alpha's characters' reaction. Okay, Rosen, you want Gary to do this? Wait a minute. And I think some people like Bill would be all for it. But I could see, you know, Nina and maybe some of the others being a little shaky. And and more, it would be more about not that they don't think Gary can handle it. I think it would be more that they would be worried about his safety. Or that he's being manipulated. That's true, too. I agree. And really kind of with this whole manipulation idea, God, this episode also kind of ended with us getting a lot of insight on the reasoning why Dr. Rosen's daughter has cited with Stan Parrish, just based on how horrified she was after seeing Hicks after the injuries he suffered in the episode. But, I mean, really, I got news for her as well. I don't think Stan Parrish is the pacifist route either, which I think she's going to discover. And I was going to say that maybe she's going to end up siding with somebody else's philosophy, which could be Gary's revolution. Or maybe because of this situation with her, that's what brings Rosen to the point where he thinks maybe Gary should share the message. Or maybe she convinces Rosen to see it that way after she realizes, you know, going with getting into bed with Stan Parrish is wrong. I don't know. But this revolution thing with Gary seems to be really on the table with him wanting to stay with the colonists, which told he had to leave. You know, we had that one scene where the colonists were getting attacked and stuff. And Gary says, no, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. Right. I was wondering if he said that because he saw the potential to continue his fight to keep Anna's memory alive. Yeah, I think so. I think he definitely felt a connection and he wanted to maybe study his new found ability to read the plants and read animals and things like that. And and he wanted an opportunity not to maybe have to worry about which alphas were coming to, you know, do what, you know, and had a little freedom to be just himself and not have to worry about what's going on. So I think that maybe played a little bit into it and maybe yeah he he could further his revolution or whatever you want to call it and as for danny dr rosen's daughter i yeah. do think i think she's going to come back to rosen's side i don't think okay. she's going to go completely but maybe that is coming back to to the gary side as right. we were just talking about and i think that's what you were you were going right. for so yeah, I think I think something she's going to see with Stanton Parrish or the people he is in bed with or working with yeah. is going to force her to a realization that he is not what he seems to be, at least with her. He seems very much the pacifist, and that's what seduced her into working with him, I think. And so with that, I think when she comes to the realization of who he actually is and what his ultimate goals are and how he means to go by them, she's going to leave or try to leave, and maybe Stanton Parrish will force her to stay. And that could be interesting. Yeah, again, this was a much better episode than the last one. Absolutely. Much more philosophical debates going on much more action this is the alphas we want to see so keep going with this guys yep so um that's that and guys a quick disclaimer i really do enjoy the character of gary so i might be a little biased when i keep putting him at the forefront <laughs> but the ideas seem good and i'm seeing a lot of material that could come out of that so that's why yeah. i'm rooting it for it to happen because it seems to have the most intriguing the most interesting ideas we could get and we need that for this show not to get old and boring like heroes did yep because it really could, that could have happened very easily. And I think Gary is a way to, and what his character is going through is a way to get around all that stuff. So with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode to closing right now. And Nico, let everyone know what's going on next week. On our next episode of Across the Airways, we are going to continue with reviewing the next episode of Doctor Who featuring dinosaurs on a spaceship. Unfortunately, Alphas and Warehouse are off this week because it's Labor Day. But they will be back the next Monday. So we will cover it that week. 
Yep. But there are a lot of things to look forward to here at Across the Airwaves because we're actually going to have another interview with Brian Q. Miller talking about his work on the Smallville Season 11 comic books and the introduction of Batman to that comic book series. And again, if you listened to our last interview with Brian, it was a lot of fun. We had a great conversation, and Brian wants to bring the fun back to ATA again. So look forward to that interview along with the episode of Garnett discussion on the Doctor Who episode. Then with the Doctor Who episode, since we have a little bit more time, we might get a little bit more time to discuss some of our crackpot theories we have for future episodes of the Doctor's Adventures in Series 7. Also, you can check out our spinoff podcasts, including ATA Retro Reviews, which I think is coming out with another Ballville retrospective episode soon. Also, we've got the Across the Airwaves DC Nation podcast, which covers new episodes of Green Lantern, the animated series, and Young Justice Invasion after those shows return from hiatus. So we'll start covering them in September. Get right now with the DC Nation podcast. We're reviewing the Smallville Season 11 comic books, as well as the comic books a part of DC Comics' New 52 universe, which just began last September. And also coming soon is ATA's Longbow Hunters, the Arrow podcast, which is going to be a podcast hosted by Michael and Wu, dedicated to covering CW's new hit show that's coming that everyone's excited about, entitled Arrow, which is about the popular DC Comics character, the Green Arrow. And Nico and myself will be joining them on that podcast, whatever time you want, depending on what our schedules look like. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. There you can email us your crackpot theories, any ideas, any reactions to the thoughts we put out there about any of the shows we cover. But you can do that by emailing us at acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, which is Across the Airways. There's no the there. It's just Across Airways. Or join our circle on Google+. And by joining those three social networks with ATA, you'll get access to the releases of our podcast episodes, and you'll also get access to all of Nico's movie and TV news that he finds out during the week. Also, with any of your crackpot theories, you can leave us a voicemail, or if you want to talk about how much you love Doctor Who or how much you're enjoying our show, you can also leave us a voicemail as well. Okay, what number? I'll do that, Nico. 773-809-3363. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel, which features all sorts of previews and promos for upcoming TV show releases, as well as movies coming out this year, including the James Bond movies Skyfall and Superman Man of Steel. So check out those promos there. You can also Michael do the new promo for our DC Nation show. So uh, check out that promo there on our site. Also, you can download our Android app, which will allow you to contact our podcast and listen to our podcast all through your cellular phone. So once again, for our ATA Retro Reviews hosts, Michael J. Petty and Luke Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Redstead. And until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airways. See you, everybody. Have a great week.
Jeffster lives, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.